Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, then please turn to John chapter 6 as we continue today with a series of messages that we started last week and that we're very simply calling I Am. And the reason we're calling it that is because this Christmas season we've chosen to look at the I Am statements of Jesus, these statements made by Jesus Christ, the Son of God who entered into our humanity as a human being. God Himself taking upon Himself flesh and then coming into this planet, our issues, our sorrows, our suffering, our lives, our death on that first Christmas day, and who then, having entered into our humanity, reached back into the pages of the Old Testament, all the way back to the burning bush where God is talking with Moses and He calls Moses into a mission and it's go deliver my people from slavery and oppression and death in Egypt. And and Moses says, well, that's great, God, and that sounds nice and all, but they've been there for over 400 years. It's all they know. And when I show up and say, you know, hey, I'm here to deliver you by means of this God, they're going to say, what God is able to do such a thing? What's His name? And God said, that's great. When they ask that question, here's my name. It's simply, I am. It's nice, isn't it? I'm able. I'm able to deliver from slavery. I'm able to bring life even out of death. So Jesus Christ, God in a body, enters into our humanity first Christmas. That's what we're celebrating. And He reaches back into the pages of the Old Testament, all the way back to that story, and He grabs hold of the name of the eternal Creator God. He then applies it to Himself and then attaches it to a series of images, every single one of which dealing with life. So I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the door. You're like, what does that have to do with life? Well, as we'll see when we get to it, to be outside the door is to be in a place of death. To be inside the door is to be in a place of life. It has everything to do with life. I'm the true vine. What does a vine do organically? It gives life to the branches. And not only does it give life to the branches, it produces life called fruit through the branches. It's all about light. I'm the good shepherd. Okay. Well, a good shepherd guides the life of the sheep, protects the life of the sheep, The good shepherd rescues the sheep, even at the expense of his own life. It has everything to do with life. I'm the light of the world. How long do you think life would survive on planet Earth with no light? I'm going to go with not long. I'm the way, the truth, and the... Go ahead and say it. Yeah, it wasn't very enthusiastic, but you got the right answer. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is all about life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took upon Himself flesh, entered into our humanity on that first Christmas day that we celebrate to this day, with these I Am statements, stands before all of humanity, but let's make it personal. He stands before us, each one of us individually. Each one of us is a family unit, each one of us as a congregation, if you will. And he says, look, if you want to know who I am and what I'm all about, I am the eternal creator God. That's who I am. I'm the invisible God made visible in Jesus Christ. I'm the incomprehensible God, still incomprehensible, but coming in a very comprehensible form in Jesus Christ. 
I'm the intangible God, now made tangible. I'm the insensible God, meaning I cannot access this God by means of my senses. I can't see him, smell him, hear him, taste him, touch him. Get the idea? I'm the insensible God made perfectly sensible in the person of Jesus Christ. I am the God who we tend to think is way out there somewhere, particularly when life stinks. Jesus says, who is standing right here in planet earth. In the midst of your sorrows, in the midst of your sufferings, in the midst of the stinkiness of your life, in the midst of sin, in the midst of death, that's who I am. And if you want to know what I'm all about, well, then I'm all about life. The only question being what kind of life, and that's what these images kind of help us to understand. And so the image that we're going to look at today is in John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus comes to us today, stands before us individually, family, and as a faith family church. And he says, hey guys, I want you to know something about me, who I am and what I'm all about. I am the, and then he says, bread of life. And if we're going to understand this, we need to understand something about bread in the Bible. Bread in the Bible is absolutely essential for physical life. You've got to get that. It is the staple of the ancient diet. It was referred to in the Bible and outside of the Bible and ancient writings as being the staff of life, meaning that which you cannot walk the walk of life without. Think about that. God comes in these statements of judgment, and He's saying to the people, I'm going to bring a famine, and here's how He describes it. He says, I'm going to break your staff. The staff of your bread is what He's saying. Bread in the Bible is absolutely essential to life. And bread in the Bible, be it physical or spiritual, comes from God. Bread is the gift of heaven. And there are all kinds of examples and teachings on that, but there is no example that is more directly relevant to the statement that Jesus makes to us today than the example that comes to us out of the life of that same guy who received the eternal Creator God's name at the burning bush. And that's Moses. Moses is a significant guy. And he's significant for a thousand reasons, and particularly to our conversation today, not the least of which is that God, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, makes a statement not just to Moses, but to us through Moses. And he comes to us, God does, and through Moses, looking forward 1,500 years, not just to the birth, but also to the life, sufferings, burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says this about our Lord. He says, I, God, will raise up for them, meaning for my people, for you, a prophet like who? Like you, Moses. And he's not saying Jesus is going to be born, he's going to grow up, and he's going to look like Charlton Heston. That's not the point. He's saying the pattern of the life of this Christ who will come is going to look a lot like the pattern of your life, Moses. And when you begin to consider their two stories, they do. It's incredibly alike. Moses is born a Jewish slave in Egypt. Jesus is born a Jewish slave in Palestine. Pharaoh, king of Egypt at the time of the birth of Moses, out of fear for his throne, what does he do? He declares an edict that all the Israelite children, male Israelite children, two years of age and under, should be killed. Herod, at the time of the birth of Jesus, out of fear for his throne declares an edict that all the male Israelite children in Bethlehem, two years of age and under, shall be killed. Sounds familiar. 
Plan A for Pharaoh is enlist the Hebrew midwives, you know, I mean, because they're the ones who deliver the babies. And he said, look, here's the deal, ladies. When the Israelite women are delivering their babies, if it's a boy, snuff out his life. If it's a girl, let her live. That's a deceptive plan. You get the idea? Herod's plan A was to use the Magi who roll into town with all kinds of pomp and circumstance in the Christmas story, if you know it. And they come to Herod and they say, where is the one born king of the Jews? And if he knows anything, he knows that that's not him. He was appointed king of the Jews. So what does he say to these guys? Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Listen, go find him and then come back and tell me where he is so that I can worship him. We'll put that in quotes, but in a very different way than you do so that I can kill him. Both plans fail. The Hebrew midwives, out of fear of God, they fear God more than the king, lie to the king. Oh, wow, you know, we show up and these women have already delivered. It's like they don't even need a midwife because they feared the Lord. And what do the Magi do? Being warned in a dream, they go home by another way. They never make the return trip back to Herod. They never tip him off where Jesus is. None of those kinds of things. Moses fled from Egypt in fear of Pharaoh. Jesus and his family fled to Egypt in fear of Herod. Moses returns to Egypt after he was told that all who have sought your life are dead. Well, Jesus returns to Palestine after he and his family get the same message. They both return to deliver their people from oppression, one from slavery and death, one from sin and death, eternal death. They both come doing miracles as evidence of the fact that God has indeed sent them. Moses fasts 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain of God. Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness. It just goes on and on. Moses brought the people of God, the Word of God, from the mountain of God and the Ten Commandments. Jesus' most famous sermon where he delivers the Word of God to God's people is called the Sermon on the Mount. Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant. Jesus, the mediator of the New Covenant. And I go on, but what we're talking about today is bread. And Moses has a bread story. The most famous bread story in the Old Testament, and maybe Joseph would be a little put off by this, but it's certainly the one that the people that Jesus speaks to today think of is the story involving Moses. He goes from that burning bush into Egypt. He delivers miraculously the people, plague upon plague, as you'll remember. And finally, Pharaoh relents and says, you just get out, all of you, quick, like now. And they leave and they head off into the wilderness. What is the wilderness? It's a place of deprivation. It's a place where there is no food. It's a place where there is no, what's the word for the day? Bread. And bread is necessary for life, isn't it? And it's the gift of heaven. So what does God do? God gives His people bread through Moses. They wake up in the morning and there's this stuff like all over the ground. It's called manna, which just means literally, what is it? Because I think they walked out of their tents going, what is it? I don't know. What is it? Tastes like chicken. I don't know. What is it? And through that bread, He sustains them, doesn't He? They'd go out every morning and there it would be. They'd collect up enough for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If they stored up any more, what happened at night? It spoiled. It went rotten. The next day they'd go out and there it was again. The next day they'd go out and there it was again. And by that bread, God sustained their physical lives. And that's important to know because when we get to John chapter 6, which is where we're parking this morning, what happens in that story? 
What do you see? Well, you see the people coming to Jesus, a multitude of people following Christ, and they go out to the wilderness, a place of deprivation, no food or no bread. And bread is necessary for life. So what does Jesus do? He takes two little fish and five loaves of bread, and He does, in some sense, what Moses did. Miraculously, He takes these five loaves and He turns it into tons of it. He blesses and divides it, and He gives it to His followers. And what do His followers do? They distribute it to the hungry masses, you see. Jesus meets their need for physical bread out in the wilderness. But just like the bread of Moses, it doesn't last. And I think that's instructive. You know, as you begin to look at the different breads of this world, and just think about it metaphorically, it can be bread literally or it can be bread of all different kinds. It doesn't last. It doesn't do for us what we really need to have done for us. I mean, it meets a need and we go to bed full, but we wake up hungry again. <laughs> and then if we have it, well, then it meets that need and we go to bed full, but we wake up hungry again. Literal bread doesn't do it. Money doesn't do it. Sex doesn't do it. Marriage doesn't do it. Think about that for a minute. It's one of the reasons so many of us have marriage problems, because we are looking to this person that we've married to do for us something they were never made capable of doing, something that only the bread of life, who is Christ, can do for us. On and on the list goes. Oh, yeah, you go to bed full. That's fine. But then you wake up empty. And that's what happens to these guys. You know, he feeds these hungry people with physical bread. They go to bed food full, they wake up hungry, and then they come looking for Jesus. But at this point, he's already now on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So these guys who come looking for Jesus come looking a long, hot, sweaty way for Christ. And they come looking for him because they want another free lunch. John tells us this in verse 25 of John chapter 6. He says, when they, this crowd that Jesus had fed the previous day and who came looking for Jesus again, because again, went to bed full, woke up hungry and thinking, wow, you know, I mean, the lunch we had yesterday was pretty awesome. Let's go look for Jesus. And we're a little miffed because they had to go a long way to find Jesus. It says, when they found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee is the sea there, They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And now listen to what Jesus says to them, because he may be saying this to me or he may be saying this to you today. says, Jesus, answer them, truly, truly. And I always find that funny because it's like God is about to speak, so it's going to be true, isn't it? Truly, truly. It's like he points out truly, truly twice. He's saying to these people, if ever a true statement was made of you, here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, You were seeking me not because you saw signs which then led you to be selflessly and authentically interested in who I really am and what I'm really about, which parenthetically is life and a different kind of life. In the bread I actually offer, in the life that I truly came to bring, you're not interested in any of those kinds of things. You're looking for me because you ate your fill of the loaves and then you woke up hungry. He's saying to them, look, your interest in me is not sincere. You just want another meal. And that's pretty penetrating. 
I think sometimes we stand 2,000 years after the life of Jesus and we think, how could anybody have ever gotten upset with him? It's pretty direct, isn't it? Uh, You guys are just here because you want a free lunch. But you've got to apply that to yourself and say, am I just here because I want a free lunch? I mean, really, why are you here? What's the reason? Are you here because Christ is your bread of life and you've come to offer your life to Him in response? And you can't imagine doing anything other than that and your interest in Him is genuine and sincere and full and whole? Or are you here because you're hoping that through the sacrifice of your time and the sacrifice of your dollars and the sacrifice of singing, which, let's admit, is a little uncomfortable at times, particularly for us guys, through serving and handing out things at the doors or whatever... What you're really hoping, whether you've thought it through or not, is that, you know, I mean, Jesus, we've walked a long way to come see you, man, and we're hoping that through all of our efforts, we now will somehow obligate you to, you know, give us a piece of physical bread, something with which we can pay our bills or fix our marriage or fix our health or whatever. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but that's not worship. You don't purchase the grace of God with your worship. You worship because Christ has given you the bread of life. And so Jesus puts his finger right on that, gets right to the point, no small talk. Hey, what did you think about the weather? Wow, you guys are hot and sweaty. Why don't you have a seat? Let's have a conversation about whatever, and then we'll kind of ease into this point. No, he just goes right for the jugular. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs and you're really interested in me, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You got a free lunch yesterday, guys. You went to bed full. You woke up hungry. And now notice the value judgment that he makes for us about the bread of this world. Here's what the bread of this world is worth, says Jesus, in terms of the labor and the efforts of your life. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes. It rots at the end of the day. Whether that be the end of this day or the end of the last day of your life, in either case, at some point it fails to be of help to you. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, so he's not ambiguous about this, he's saying, which I, myself, will, not maybe, not will possibly, will consider, I don't know, it might show up under your tree, no, will give to you, for on him, this Son of Man, the Father has set his seal. And he's not saying quit your job and don't worry about providing food for your family. Guys, bread is necessary for life. And the very fact that the previous day, Jesus, as an act of compassion, looked at the hungry masses and realized bread is necessary for life and therefore acted in such a way as to miraculously feed what could have been up to 20,000 of them when you consider the women and children as well, speaks to the reality that Jesus understands that we need physical bread. We came today to worship a God who knows literally what it is to be hungry. And as an aside, homeless. So he gets that. He's not saying that physical bread is unimportant. What he's saying is that there's an even greater kind of bread that brings an even greater kind of life. And that we are so possessed with the breads of this world that we miss 
the greater bread and the greater life. If you're going to pursue something, give your greatest energies and priorities to pursuing the bread of life, who is Jesus. So he says, verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will what? Will give to you. Do not labor. He will give it to you. It's a gift. You don't labor for gifts. You open up your hands and go, wow. You receive it. For on Him, on Christ, God the Father has set His seal of approval is the point. But these guys aren't getting this yet. And it's okay. I mean, you can understand their struggle. You know, I mean, He's covered a lot of ground with very little language. So they're wrestling through this stuff. And, and it says that in the crowd said to Jesus, what must we, and here's how you know they don't get it, because they use the word do. What must we do to be doing the works of God? The idea being that, look, Jesus, we have to do things every single day to get the physical bread that we need for our physical lives. And so, I mean, you know, that's the way the world works, man. So clearly we're going to have to do something. I mean, they just run right past the whole gift language. We're going to have to do something to get this greater bread, whatever that is, that brings this great life, and I don't know yet what that is either that you're talking about, don't we? They come to Jesus with a question about doing, and Jesus answers them, and He says, well, this is the work of God. I mean, if you guys want to know what you need to do, here we go. This is the work of God, that you be a good person. No, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So what do we have to do to gain the bread of life? Nothing. The idea is that the Lord Christ has done it all. What we have to do is believe in Him, in the perfect life that He led for us. That's why He's here. Newsflash, God demands perfection of us. Perfection, not good according to mom, but perfection. And we fail that every single day. So the Father and the Son have an arrangement. And the Son comes into the world as our champion and hero. And He lives the perfect life that none of us have lived. He earns it for us. And the Father accepts His life for yours when you put your faith in Him. So the crowd says to Jesus, verse 38 or 28, what must we be doing or what must we do to be doing the works of God to get this bread that you're talking about? And Jesus answered them, well, this is the work of God, that you believe in Me, He's saying, in Him whom He, God, has sent. And now notice what they say to Him. So they said to Him, then what kind of a sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? And notice the story that they now bring up, because it's Moses. Our fathers ate, here we go, manna in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. See, they're making the connections between Christ and Moses. Bread coming from heaven. They get all of this language in some sense, and they're saying, okay, well, you know, I mean, our fathers 
ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he, probably here meaning Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. And the idea is they're coming to Christ and saying, look, we understand that you're offering us some kind of a greater bread, which brings some kind of a greater life than did Moses. So show us some kind of a sign that indicates that you're actually greater than Moses. But he is greater than Moses. And again, just comparing the two lives, reveal that. Out in that Midianite desert, by the burning bush, if you will, God came down and He appeared to Moses in a burning thorn bush. In Christ Jesus, God came down in the flesh and He wore a crown of thorns and He endured the fiery judgment of the cross. God, through Moses, led His people out of bondage with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's the language. Well, in Jesus, God stretched out His hands and arms to lead us out of bondage, a far greater one. Moses gave us the law that cursed us, all the do's and the don'ts that you know, we're supposed to perfectly keep, thought, word, and deed from conception to death. My goodness, thanks a lot. Jesus comes into the world and He keeps it all for us. And then He becomes a curse for us, says the New Testament. Moses calls forth water from a rock to revive the people. Jesus brings forth waters of living, living waters, waters of, of life to revive our souls. Moses taught us to bless those who bless us and to love our neighbors. Jesus taught us to bless those who curse us and to love even our enemies. He empowers us to a greater love. It's amazing. Moses turns the waters of Egypt into blood, a sign of judgment and death. Jesus turns the water into wine, a sign of fellowship and joy and life. But we're talking about bread. So Moses fed the people this bread called manna, which spoiled every night and delayed their death, but it didn't defeat their death. They all died. Jesus is himself the bread of life. And He never spoils, and He brings eternal life. His life perfectly live as a substitute for ours. His perfect life offered as a sacrifice for all of our many imperfections and sins. It's awesome. And He comes from Bethlehem, by the way. You know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. It's awesome. What an image. See, it gets even better when you think about how bread, unleavened bread in particular, is made. And you compare it to the sufferings of Jesus, to His passion as it exists in the New Testament. I mean, how do you make bread? Well, I mean, the first thing you need to do is, and it's violent, by the way, you cut off the wheat from its life source. That's the language of Isaiah. He will be cut off. Who can speak of his generations? The wheat is cut off, and then it's thrashed. The word in the Hebrew for thrashing means to beat. It's beaten. It sound familiar? Having then been beaten, it's winnowed. Winnowed in the Bible is an emblem of judgment. It's thrown up into the wind, and the wind blows away the lighter chaff, if you will, and the, the kernels of the wheat fall down to the ground, and then they're gathered up, and they're crushed. What does Isaiah say? It was the will of the Father to crush him. And then it's made into flour and it's kneaded with fists, isn't it? And then it's placed into the heat of fire, another emblem of judgment. 
And then finally, since it's unleavened bread, it's pierced. And then it's torn. And then it's taken. And when it's physical bread, like for you and I, we take this thing into our body and we ingest it literally through our stomach and it brings to us life. That's Christ. That's the bread of life. We take Him in by faith and He brings to us eternal life, which is basically what He says next. Verse 32 it says, Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, and it's reminiscent of the woman at the well, except it's just a different image. It's not water. They say, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, okay, guys, here's the thing. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to, be my, comes to me by faith shall not hunger spiritually. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's it. So what do you do with that? I think the first thing you do, if you've never done it, is you partake of the bread of life. You come humbly to this Christ, who is Himself humble. You come lowly to this One who is Himself meek. And you confess the fact that you've cluttered your life up with a filth that you can't get rid of. That you're not a good person as God defines it, which, again, is perfect. And that you need for Him to rescue you, which He's done through His sufferings. You come to the One who is the bread of life, and you take Him in by faith. You give Him your sin and you give Him your life and you receive from Him eternal and abundant life. That's the first thing. And then if you've done that, you start doing what the disciples did out in the wilderness when Jesus started making the miraculous physical bread. You start taking the bread, by the way, all of which physically and spiritually comes from God, and you start as a servant going forward and giving it out to hungry people, physically hungry people, spiritually hungry people, and oftentimes a little of both. You go out into the world as those men did, as a servant, bringing to them the bread of life who is Christ. You wake up to the fact that there are people all over your life who are running from this kind of physical bread to this kind of physical bread to this kind of physical bread to this kind of physical bread, all the while trying to satisfy a need that they're not even sure what that need is. And you let them know how the true bread of life has met that need for you. As we talked about last week, this Christmas season, we're featuring Hope South Florida, which is a ministry that we had a privilege of, of joining together with some other churches to help form and formulate. And last week, we heard from Robin Martin, who is the executive director, and he kind of laid out sort of the overarching theme, you know, of build hope, 
build housing, and build community. And today we want to continue that conversation and over the course of the next few weeks do the same thing as we talk today about building hope. And what I want to tell you is that I love this ministry because it gives out bread to needy people physically and spiritually. It does what each one of us are called to do in our offices and schools within the context of our friendships and relationships, and it does it every day. So I'm going to pray, and Matt's going to come up and introduce you to these guys. Father, I do thank you for the bread of life who is Christ, and I lift up this group before you today. Lord, and I pray that we might come to the Savior Father, if anybody here does not know Jesus, has not humbled themselves before Him, have not confessed their own brokenness and sin, have not been real before you or maybe even with themselves, but today have gotten the message, I pray that they would come to you even now and just confess their need for you, that they've been running from bread to bread seeking to pull somehow out of it what only the bread of life can give. Going to bed full and yet waking up empty day after day after day. And I pray, Lord, that they would confess their sin to you, receive you into their heart by faith, and experience that which is truly life and that which never ends. And then, Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would awaken us out of the Christmas busyness to the needs of the people around us, those in our offices, those in our schools, those that we have friendships with, that you might show us how to be servants to them physically and spiritually and to take the one who is the true bread of life to them. And Lord, I lift up Hope South Florida too, and I thank you for that ministry and um, for the privilege that it is to associate with them. And I pray, God, this Christmas season, we might bless them as they bless others in the name of the Savior. We lift up all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.